I Am The Law is brought to you by Blueprint LSAT Test Prep, which reports an average score increase of 15 points. With the first AI-powered QBank, fun videos, personalized study plans, and engaging 98th percentile instructors, Blueprint has helped thousands of students crush their LSAT goals. Learn more at BlueprintLSAT.com. From Law Hub, this is I Am The Law, a podcast where we talk with lawyers about their jobs to shed light on how they fit into the larger legal ecosystem. In this episode, Kyle McEntee interviews a criminal defense lawyer who helps tourists manage their vacation mistakes. Support comes from Seton Hall University School of Law in Newark, New Jersey where you can enroll full-time or in the Weekend JD program. In the heart of New Jersey, with proximity to New York City, Seton Hall is dedicated to your outcomes, evidenced by high employment and bar passage rates. Its one-student-at-a-time approach supports you throughout your time in law school. Their flexible, hybrid Weekend JD program allows working professionals to balance work, family, and law school. Learn more at law.shu.edu. Support also comes from the University of Idaho College of Law and its two locations. The Moscow location has all the resources of the university's main campus, neighboring a picturesque, charming college town. The Boise location is in the heart of downtown, just blocks from the seat of government. Either Idaho law location provides an abundance of outdoor opportunities. As the only law school in the state, Idaho law provides near-exclusive access to the courts, the legislature, and the rapidly developing business and nonprofit communities. We're joined today by Alan Fowler, a 2006 graduate of Mercer University School of Law. Today, he runs a criminal defense shop in Key West, Florida. But before that, he spent six years with the Navy JAG Corps, first in Washington State and then in Key West. Alan, your story about starting a firm is pretty interesting to me. After spending those six years in a rather structured environment, you immediately went out on your own. And that's a pretty bold move. Can you tell us a little bit about your thinking? My last year or so with the Navy, I, I knew that I was going to be leaving active duty. And so, of course, I think like anyone would, I was thinking about what I wanted to do uh, with my life, my career. And I really took an interest in entrepreneurship and business. And I found myself reading on starting a business and running a business. So then I started thinking, how could I go about you know, starting my own law firm? Uh, at that time, my wife and I were debating where we wanted to live. And once we sort of settled on the idea that we wanted to live in the Florida Keys and Key West in particular, I started thinking about what I wanted to do. I was fortunate enough in the Navy to practice a real broad spectrum of areas. And so I felt like I had a pretty good grasp on, you know, what, what would happen in each different practice area, like estate planning or criminal defense or what have you. I was really, you know, overthinking it, quite frankly. And I found myself just hyper analyzing what it would like to be a land use attorney or criminal defense attorney. And I kept finding, you know, sort of equally weighted pros and cons for each practice area that I had interest in. And then at some point it just dawned on me that I'm not truly going to realize what it's like to be a solo practitioner doing a particular area of law until I'm in there doing it. And so I found myself thinking about what do I like to do in my free time? And I really love food and wine and the craft beer movement. And I had this idea about being a 
attorney that specialized in restaurants and bar owners and craft breweries and other culinary entrepreneurs. And there's a lot of that down there in Key West, isn't there? Yeah. Well, and, you know, for a small island, you know, we, we've got some, you know, unusually high number of, you know, bars and restaurants. So I ran by a few acquaintances who are restaurateurs and shared my vision and my passion for what I want my practice to be. And they both loved it and hired me uh, right on the spot. I kind of grew my practice from there, marketing myself as sort of a, a restaurant lawyer or a culinary lawyer, as I would sometimes say. But then I found myself missing the courtroom. Uh, around that time, a colleague of mine asked me to help him in a homicide case that was pending down here at the time. And as you might imagine, in a small community like this, we, we don't get very many homicides. So by working on that case with my colleague and friend, I had occasion to work with him on some other cases that he had pending because it was interesting to me. And then I found myself enjoying being a criminal defense attorney. And so then I kind of pivoted my practice with a passion project, so to speak, of restaurants and other culinary entrepreneurs. And then things really took off from there. So can you explain a little bit about what you didn't like about your original practice? I'm kind of disappointed that it ended up being like this, but it was really two things. Uh, one, I found that the majority of the work was transactional, which is to say reviewing or drafting contracts, forming LLCs, drafting operating agreements, uh, registering trademarks and copyrights, if that was applicable. And while I certainly enjoy writing uh, and reading, I, I tend to prefer it more from a persuasive advocacy perspective. And the second, what I found is it's really kind of difficult to be a specialist for a type of human being. <laughs> I've had ideas, and I'm sure others have had, you know, things like, hey, what if I was to specialize in representing professional athletes or, you know, CEOs or, you know, these kinds of people that you would love to be around and have in your life, you know, rock stars or something. But the reality of it is it's hard to be good, well, it's hard to be good at one thing, let alone lots of different things. And by good, I don't just mean competent in that area of law, but to systematize and proceduralize what you're doing so that you and your business can produce consistent results each and every time. And I just found like it was too many practice areas to be particularly good at any of them. So what I did is I reduced my, my client load to my best clients and have been focusing uh, almost exclusively on criminal defense ever since I had that realization. Let's talk a little bit about your criminal defense clients. Uh, who exactly are they? Well, I like to say that my law firm helps people who made a mistake on vacation avoid going home on probation, which is to say that the majority of my clients tend to be tourists and out-of-towners that found themselves getting arrested. So what kind of stuff are they getting into? Well, I'd say the majority of my cases involve drugs or alcohol to some extent. So DUIs, drug possession, drug purchases, drunken disorderly conduct or batteries and things of that nature that are frequently fueled by drinking too much or, or using drugs or both. 
And those are all misdemeanors, yes. right? Yes. Though, you know, some possession of some drugs, you know, would be a felony like cocaine, for example. And for some reason, the majority of my clients tend to be Taurus. Um, and when I came to that realization, I kind of adjusted my marketing. Uh, and I've got plans to take that that model across the state over time in other Taurus communities in Florida. So you said the majority of your work is misdemeanors. I guess the other bit is going to be the more serious felonies. Do you find those more interesting? Are they more profitable? Yeah, you know, certainly the the higher stakes there are, uh, the more you're going to be able to charge, and the more complex they are, the more that you're going to be able to charge. At least in in my experience, you know, I I, I tend to find them more enjoyable, assuming they have more issues to explore and leverage from a defense perspective. You know, I would rather litigate a simple, you know, let's say marijuana possession case that perhaps involved the traffic stop and search and seizure issues and other fun issues to explore than, you know, an armed robbery case where there were multiple eyewitnesses and video surveillance and and you really can't do a whole lot. I don't really like to be in a position where there's very little to litigate and very little to do to leverage your client's interests. So to me, it's not the seriousness that, that matters, but the, the amount of uh, lawyering that we can do in a particular case. I'd imagine the fact that your clients are Taurus, uh, at least for the most part, that that poses an extra problem for them as they can't appear in court without enduring an enormous expense. What's the difference in your workflow for Taurus versus locals? Locals can appear in court and they can also come and meet me in person. Uh, I meet my staff. But Taurus can't. So I leverage a lot of different technology tools to make it easier for the potential client or retained client to know, like, and trust my office and I. So I have a lot of email templates that I use to keep them updated on on a regular basis. I have scheduling software where my clients can go to a website and at any moment in time schedule a phone call with me but just you know leveraging technology to make it as simple and pain free for them to do what they need to be doing as a client and to get access to me and to keep them informed you know as we all know the number one complaint about attorneys is lack of communication and we have all these great technology tools now Something I've learned recently is you can train your clients. You know, clients want to be good clients, just like we want to be, let's say, good patients (laughs) to our dentist or something like that. You can train your clients on how you're going to work together. Like I, I tell my clients that unless it's an emergency, I don't take unscheduled phone calls. And I notice that when I finish that sentence, there's like a little bit of a pause or there's a little friction. But then I say, Though you can schedule a phone call with me, and I block off all day Tuesday and Thursday just for phone calls and meetings. And so you're never more than about 36 hours away from talking to me. And when it's scheduled, I can be prepared to effectively answer your questions and help you and update you on the case. Before you'd mentioned you weren't initially targeting these tourists, but that they were finding you. And then you changed your marketing approach. Can you talk a little bit about your marketing and what goes into it? I was working with a business coach on an elevator pitch, and I found myself 
characterizing my clients and, and target clients as good people. Like I think the first rendition was something to the effect of, hey, I help good people who made a mistake or I help good people who were wrongfully accused. And my business coach was like, hey, listen, people who get arrested do not think of themselves as good people. Most of them are not good people, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, well, look, I don't want to argue with you about it, but most of my clients are good people who just made a mistake, who've never been arrested before. And in fact, most of them don't even live here. And then he interrupted me and said, wait, hold on, what do you mean they don't, they don't live there? And I said, well, 90% of my clients are on vacation or visiting someone or whatever the circumstances are. It's like, oh, well, that's, you know, that's what we ought to niche down to. If that's what you're already pulling. How did that end up changing the way you advertise your services? I am changing much of the copy in my website and other marketing outreach efforts to highlight that I am, you know, we can't use the word specialize in Florida unless you're board certified, but that I'm focused on helping tourists and out-of-towners who had what should have been a nice Florida Keys experience turn upside down by an arrest. So my formula has been that you need to have a beautifully designed website that converts visitors. Your website needs to be on page one of Google, uh, as well as the other search engines. But you need to you know, work your way up so that you're one of the first actual law firms that comes up in search results. And depending on your market, you need to do Google pay-per-click ads uh, so that you can be sure that while you're working your way up, your website is getting in front of people who are searching search terms that are relevant to your practice area. And then you need to find other ways to trigger leads. I have sponsored some uh, local events, especially ongoing events, you know, that allows me to have some ad placement. I've started doing Facebook ads. And I've really kind of taken a, a broad net. And this is perhaps the big thing is you have to measure the results. And at, at a very minimum, you just need to measure, hey, I spent this much money. I did this type of advertising. I got this many phone calls. And of those phone calls, this many of those turn into clients. Uh, like, for example, I just started doing direct mail letters. That I have a tracking number. So I know when people call the number that's in that letter versus some other number on my website, I'm tracking every letter I send out. I'm tracking every letter that gets returned. And when I'm getting phone calls, I'm asking these leads how they heard about me, if that helped them make a decision to call me. You know, but you have to track these things so you know if it's a good investment or not. Support comes from Vermont Law and Graduate School. Vermont Law and Graduate School empowers students to dream big. It welcomes and shares passions for social justice, the environment, criminal justice reform, and so much more. At BLGS, realism and idealism collide. Together, students and faculty positively transform the world around them. From an accelerated two-year JD to an online hybrid JD, BLGS offers innovative programs where you can learn at your own pace. To learn more, please visit vermontlaw.edu. Support also comes from Albany Law School. Albany Law School is committed to increasing access to the legal profession. 
Albany Law's online FlexJD delivers all the benefits you'd expect from an institution that's been educating future lawyers and leaders since 1851. With one in-person session per year, you'll complete most of your work online, giving you the flexibility you need to earn your law degree when and where it works for you. To find out how you can begin your journey to earning a JD, visit albanylaw.edu today. Support also comes from Baylor Law School, the smallest and oldest law school in Texas. Baylor Law has three entering classes, 15 tracks of study, strong bar passage and employment rates, robust scholarship offerings, numerous clinics and joint degree programs, and a focus on preparing excellent and ethical lawyers. Visit the Baylor Law website to learn more and to apply for free to the spring, summer, and or fall entering classes. I am struck by the language you're using as well as the concepts. So words like leads, conversion, and then concepts like return on investment and search rankings and advertising. It strikes me as not quite what people would expect when they're thinking about what a criminal defense attorney has to focus on in their day-to-day. Well, thanks. And that's sort of a, an education that I've been undergoing the last year or two. If anyone is the owner of a solo practice or a part owner or single owner of a small law firm, or if anyone's considering either of those routes, you have to embrace the idea that you're a business owner because this is how you're going to need to think in order to grow that practice. The responsibilities of running and operating a law firm is not going to change just because someone merely wants to be a practitioner. And while certainly you need to know how to do the job, you can't do the job and run the business if you're only thinking like a technician. Let's talk about the legal side of things. I understand that you usually come in after someone has been arrested, but before their first court hearing. So when a client calls you, what is your first step? Well, I usually do the client consult uh, right then and there. I find that with criminal defense leads, they feel a sense of urgency to talk to a lawyer as quickly as possible, to hire a lawyer as quickly as possible. I think what's happened is their life has kind of been turned upside down. You know, they've got a court hearing that might be 10 or 14 days in the future, but they have this desire to kind of stabilize things. And in my case, since most of my clients are tourists, the majority of them have already gone home. So there are people who might be arrested on a Friday. They fly home to Iowa or somewhere Saturday or Sunday, and then they wake up the following week and realize, oh, crap, i got to be in court in seven days. I need to hire a lawyer. And so I do the consultation over the phone in the early minute or two of the phone call, I look up the client's mugshot and I look up their case with the clerk of the court's website. But again, I found that with criminal defense leads that there's a sense of urgency and that if you don't talk to them right away, that they're going to move on to the next lawyer and you may lose the lead. And, and you know, I, I'm not, I'm really not ashamed to say this though. I hope it doesn't sound bad, but I'm not ashamed to say that There have been times where I've gotten phone calls from potential clients 
And at some point they have mentioned that they have a meeting scheduled or, you know, a consult scheduled with a colleague of mine either that afternoon or the next day. But they decided to keep calling lawyers. And by doing the consult right then and there, I've converted that lead into a paying client. And obviously that client has canceled whatever consult they had. So I am not ashamed to say that one of my favorite guilty pleasures is how to get away with murder. Uh, Yet it's actually a bit ironic since one key purpose of this show is to dispel bad information born of TV and movies. So how far off base is that show with regard to the strategizing that's going on? For a big homicide case or a complex sexual assault case or a complex white collar case, you are going to find yourself strategizing quite a bit and, and weighing all different alternatives. And if your client has the resources for it to hire a private investigator to do things. But, you know, that, that happens in virtually every case. You know, I've, I've had domestic violence cases where my client and I have strategized what we can do to try to get the case dismissed or the charges dismissed. Uh, with the help of the alleged victim who doesn't want to cooperate in in the prosecution. So I think you're constantly going to be looking at legal strategies that you can do to get evidence suppressed or otherwise, you know, be effective inside the courtroom. It may not be to to the extent of sort of the fictitious nature of that show, but if you're not thinking strategically on how to get the result that your client wants, then you're probably not being as effective as you can be. And by the way, it's probably worth noting the last thing I said is, you know, what what drives all this, at least in my mind, is what the client wants. You know, I can't tell you, you know, when I first started out, how many times I would talk to a potential client or even perhaps after they retained me, and I would think that they have something in mind. You know, like maybe they want to go to trial and be acquitted. Or I might think that they, you know, have some other result in mind. But then when you talk to them and you really listen, you find out that you know, they just don't want to go to jail or uh, they, they have a prior record and they hate to be on probation and they're willing to go to jail so long as they don't get more probation. If someone says something like that to you, which is unique, you, you need to strategize on how to get there. And I've had cases where I've had to you know, find creative solutions to convince the prosecutor that you know, jail time with no probation is, is best for everybody uh, or whatever the case may be. I Am The Law is a Law Hub production. Don't forget to subscribe and rate this show in your favorite podcast app. Thank you to our presenting sponsor, Blueprint LSAT Test Prep. Thank you also to our other sponsors, LSAT Lab, Seton Hall University School of Law, Vermont Law and Graduate School, and Baylor Law.